0: The only, Sweet Word. Come to the we the now. together to find out Father, thank you for your word. Please, Lord, as we read it, as we meditate on together. Speak to us the word. Give us light. Give us truth, God. Send out your light and your truth. Let them God us. chapter 20, starting verse 1, let's read this entire chapter. Hear God's words, lean in with them. When you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them. Speak to the people and shall say to them, "Here, Israel! Today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them, for the Lord your God is He goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory." Then the officers shall speak to Saying, is there any man who's built a new house and is not dedicated, go back to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man is dedicated? Is there any man who explained to the vineyard and does not enjoy his fruit and then go back to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man enjoy his fruit? And is there any man who has thrown the wife and has not taken her? Let him go back to his house and seek got by the one the officers shall speak further to the people and say, if there any man who is fearful and faint-hearted, let him go back to his house, that he make the heart of his fellows melt like a dawn. And when the officers have finished speaking to the people, these then commanders shall be appointed at the head. You draw near to a city to fight against it. Terms of peace, offer terms of peace to it. And if it responds to you peaceably, it opens to you, and all the people who are found it should be foreshalf of you to serve you. But if it makes no peace to you, but makes war against you, then you shall deceive it. Your God gives into your hand, you shall put all its males and the sword, but the women and the little ones, the livestock, and everything else in the city, all its soil you shall take its wonder for yourselves, and you shall enjoy the soil of your enemies, which the Lord your God has Thus
1: you shall do to all the cities that are
0: very far from you, which are not cities of the nations here. But In the cities of these people, as the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breeze. But you shall devote them to complete destruction. The Hittites, the Amorites, Canaanites, and the the Hittites and the as the the Lord your God has commanded. That they may not teach you to do according to all their abominable practices that they have done to their gods and so you send it to the Lord your God. When you besiege a city for a long time, making war against it in order to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wounding acts against them. You may eat from them, but you shall not cut them down. Are the trees in the field of human that they should be besieged by you? Only the trees that you know are not trees with food may destroy you by down. You may build a seed works against the city, and it may with you until it falls. This is God's word. Deuteronomy chapter 20. Let's try to let's try to um, understand the plain sense of what's here. What's the structure of the text These are laws concerning war. We've been walking through these laws of our army, and here we find the laws concerning war. Verses 1 through 9 are laws about how to muster your military when you're facing a stronger enemy. You saw that in verse 1. You see this enemy stronger than you, larger than you, bigger than you. How do you, how do you pull together your army? How do you muster your when you're facing a stronger enemy? Well, First thing we see in verse 1 we see a call to fearlessness. Don't fear, he says. When you see that army that's larger than in verse 1, he says, Do not be afraid. Do not fear. How do you must this Don't be afraid, number one. Second, we see the preaching of the priests. You see that in verse 2? It's really verse 2 through 4. When you're right down the birds of battle. Bring that priest forward, and the priest is supposed to speak out. Say, "Hear, O Israel! You're on the verge of battle with your enemies. Don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. Don't be panic. Don't run away. God's with you. He'll fight for you, save you." Now, what do you think about priests that way?
1: You read in your
0: Old Testament and you see what it says about priests. You think, "Oh, my goodness, merciful." Standing at the front of the armies of Israel, preparing them for battle, and preaching. Malachi 2, verse 7, mentioned the priest, and says that the law of God is supposed to be on the priest's mouth. The people should seek instruction from his lips. And here they are in front of the army of Israel, preaching, preparing them for warfare. Now, the third thing we see in verses 5 through 8 are military exemptions. In fact, there's four. Four reasons that are given here apply. You don't have to be in this army, you don't have to fight your own. So, four military exemptions that really, I I call them the the, uh, is there any man? Where you said, is there any man in this situation? Let it go home. If you're in a situation, let it go home. That happens four times in verses five through eight. So let's look at these exceptions. Exception number one, the four, is have you built a new house? Have you built a new house or a Have you built a new house and not dedicated or ashamed to live in it? Have you lived in it yet? A lot of society a new house and yet they haven't yet lived in it about that in a minute, but, but that's the situation. You go to your house, you have to get a living, go on. You're exempt from this war. Exemption number two, you planted a vineyard. Sit there, verse six. Somebody's planted a vineyard, but they haven't yet enjoyed its fruit. Now that, that situation is, uh it does. out about the words of 19, verses 23-25. Somebody, They first, you know,
1: get their land
0: and begin to build their house and begin to plant their vineyard when they first begin to do that. That the fruit from the first year is not being enjoyed, the fruit from the second year is not being enjoyed. This is actually an extended military attempt. It's going to take a little while once you plant the vineyard and you haven't yet enjoyed its fruit. That comes a few years down the road, according to the book of 19. So, likely these are connected. Starting a new home, starting a new figure, and we're about to see the next dimension. Starting a new family. Looking at the of number three, there, verse seven. Have you, if somebody has a a wife, but you haven't yet taken it, it's kind of like an engagement, but more formal. Like, you're wife, but it's almost like an engagement. So, so he gets betrothed to this woman, and then he goes to prepare a place for her, plants the vineyard, builds the house, waiting to bring his wife home to his the You haven't brought her home yet. He says here, go home. Now, this also would have been an extended extension, uh, Chapter 24, verse 5. For some reason I love this verse. It says, When a man is not like death, when a man is newly married, he shall not go out to the army. Or be Lib was any other public duty. He shall be free at home one year to be happy, what will pray, to be happy with his wife, whom he has taken. So this is an extended military extension. Like I said, he takes New wife, a prayer place for new figure new home. Right here, he said, I want you guys that category kind of to stay home. Stay home. Now, I want you to recognize how interesting these exemptions are. Okay? Try to put yourself in this situation. You're about to face an enemy that's bigger than you. And what you hear is, don't be afraid. What? The, the enemy is bigger than us. The, the enemy is stronger than us. Why should we be afraid? And somebody said to you, oh wait, look at the priest. The priest remember to. He's going to speak to us. Let me tell us why we should be afraid. Maybe you'll tell us about some weaknesses of the enemy. And then what does the priest say? Don't be afraid of the Lord your God Okay, the priest a spiritual so just side. Why? Uh, Why don't we have to be afraid? Okay, here come the officers it says in verse 5. The officers step up and give these exemptions. Here come the officers. Maybe the officers will tell us uh, why why we don't have to be afraid. Maybe the officers will tell us something about how we're going to build the biggest army, bigger than this army, so we don't have to be afraid anymore. And what did the officers say? The officers say, all you young folks that are in to come, strength and endurance, God said. Go home. Enjoy your things. He's mad at him. He's sending them home. He's, he's, the the, the, he the, the, the he He's already longer than us, and you're sitting people home to the battle. What's going on here? You must understand that with God, winning battles is not not about Jesus' dream. But wait, there's one more decision. It's found in verse 8. Are you afraid? Another decision. Are you afraid? Are you terrified? Are you afraid to go home? He says. Go home. Now, this is set apart in read how It's introduced so much on like verse 8 It gets really read this. All the search shall also say this. It's like these first three exemptions are exemptions of compassion. And then here's one about someone being afraid of you, afraid he says here, and he tells him to go home. Now, some people might think, well, if you were, you know, you were there and you were off that attention, I had to pray to home, Nobody do I take, right? Because nobody's going that attention because you're looking around and people are going to be to take it. That ain't true. In fact, if you read the war, Read about the Lord that Gideon fought in Judges chapter 7. In Judges chapter 7, verse 2, and keep this in mind, 32,000 soldiers are about to fight the Gideonites. 32,000 soldiers. and This is what said says. Judges chapter seven, verse 2, says, The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many. They thought backwards, it said us. The people who are with you, Gideon, to get the victory out of your hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, "My own hand saved me." What's God interested in here? When you win this war, I'll make it really, really clear that I'm the one that did this. And right now, you've got too many soldiers, no boast, and then they hit by their own strength. And you so, so, what did do he do? What did he do to win them down his army? Says this. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, "Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount that. Are you afraid Again, you're on a track. Are you afraid? Go home. I'm sure truly no one could this attention to today. Next verse. Then twenty-two thousand or thirteen thousand. Then twenty-two thousand people returned. And Ten thousand. God had a little bit on reality, more so. Why? I repeat, with God, winning battles is not about human strength. Winning battles is not about human pride, human boasting, or the strength of the flesh. Now, this first verse, one nine. Uh, principles and think about what's you your or for uh, an enemy that's larger than you. Then you get to verse 10. And in verses 10 through 20, we have some war ethics laid out for us.
1: Now, in this section, Israel is basically instructed that
0: do not conduct war like the pagans that are around you. The pagans around you do war in one way, not you. You're too different. That's what it is all about. Very common practice in the state to have a military that was for blood. The more murderous the military, the better the military. Paying military to fall without any regard for the value of human life, they would kill indiscriminately. They would lay waste to the land just to cause people to suffer for generations to come. Horrible atrocities. from this kind of warfare has been important for us throughout history.
1: Not all things,
0: them. moral the atrocities and the pagans that are around them. So, how is Israel to conduct warfare differently than the pagans that are all around them? Well, verse 10 and 11, we read it. Verse 10 and 11, it says, First, God commanded them first, offer to beasts of them. Offer to them terms of peace to them, verse 10, verse 7, any conflict without violence. Now we actually have an illustration of this remember later on the Gideonites. Now the Gideonites are not supposed to be treated like this. We'll learn that in a minute. But they should Israel and the Gideonites acted like they were going from far, far away, and they entered they into the Gideonites and come to the sea street. And what that means is they're at peace with Israel to the point where when the Gideonites were in trouble, they called out to Israel, and Israel gathered up their own and and to protect them. He said, All for peace. Verse 10 and 11 here, All for peace first. End of conflict without a lot doubt. Verse 12 to 14 here, But if you have to fight, so again, don't fight without taking the remedy. If you have to fight, if you have to reward, that's what you have to do. It says there in verse so 12 and 14, do not slaughter everyone. Don't slaughter everyone. It says here, lead the women, lead the children, leave them alone. Don't slaughter everyone. Value the life of your enemies, enemies offering peace. And then, if they don't take that, value the life of your enemies by sparing their families. Now, if you jump down, we're going back to verse 16, but if you jump back to verse 19 and 20. So, again, how did they conduct warfare differently? Verse 19 and 20, it even tells them how they should treat the land of their enemies. I love that little question. Are the troops human? Are the troops human that you should deceive them? It's an interesting question. So, it's a struggle about how to treat the land of their enemies. You see all the trees that Give food, go over there and destroy all those trees you can eat from. Them. But don't destroy them. Now, there's some trees, he said, this verse 9. If there are some trees that are producing their the substance that, that, that you can eat from, and you need to tear them down in order to do the same works for the Lord. that's fine. But don't just go in there and lay waste the land. And that's getting in the heart of the purpose of verse 19 and The purpose of this all, don't lay waste in the land like the pagan. Win this war, win this war by my strength. But don't try to make them suffer for generations by stripping the land of its substance. Proverbs 1323 speaks about something like this. It says, the fallow ground of the poor would yield much food. The unsealed ground of the poor would yield much food, but it's swept away through injustice. It swept away through injustice. So God's commanding his army to deal differently than the pain armies all around, valuing life, valuing that land, offering peace. Now there is an exception in verse 16 through 18. There's an exception to this rule. These laws that we're talking about were to govern normal and typical warfare. Let's look at the first thing. Thus you shall do to all the cities that are very far from you, which are not the cities of the nations here. The ones in the land of Canaan. Okay? So their normal warfare, typical warfare was to be done like this. But Verse 16, what about the Canaanites? Verse 16, but in the cities of these people, what does the Lord your God is before the air is. So what about the Canaanites? What about the people in the land of Canaan? And the call here, you keep reaching for complete destruction. Leave alive, nothing that breathes. Take no thunder. Complete annihilation, complete destruction. Now again, just to be clear. God does not intend for this to be the normal protocol for Israel anymore, but it's what he calls them to specifically for these people, these Canaanite people. We'll touch on this in a moment. We'll touch on this in a moment. But Israel, that time, says Israel is being used by God to bring down severe judgment on these people. Severe judgment on these people. Now, that's the main sense of this text. I believe we've touched every verse here. We've got laws about war, laws about warfare. Now, let's dig a little deeper into the other chapter. Two questions. First question what do, these, what do these warfare laws teach us about God? What do these warfare laws teach us? about our God. Not even three things. Number one, God is a man of war. God is a man of war. That might sound a funny way to say it, but I did that directly from the scripture. Exodus the direct quote from Exodus chapter 15, verse 3, said this, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is a man of war. Well, what does it mean? What does it mean? God is a man. God is a man. It's not that God is a war monger, that He's eager to slaughter the wicked. And God's not like that. Scripture says, I have no delight in the death of the wicked. God said, I have no delight in the death of the wicked. So, what does it mean, the Lord? Is a man of war. Well, in Exodus chapter 15, when I quote that wrong,
1: God has just routed Israel's
0: enemies. You remember it? Remember their enemies were? Egypt, they were enslaved. Israel was a weak, outnumbered, outtrained, outmaxed opponent to Egypt. Egypt had all the top line more technology of the day, and God delivered his people from them. He drowned the Egyptians in the Red Sea, it says, and in Exodus 15, they're singing about him. Their hearts full of joy and gladness and thankfulness they're singing. The Lord is a man of war. It means he's a warrior. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is one who is mighty in battle. God has proven his might, he's proven his power, his commitment Fight for his people, and now they exalt him. Praise the Lord, our mighty warrior, the man of war. You see the same thing in the Bible chapter 20. Verse 1 tells them that they'll see what? What will they see? You're going to see chariots and horses. In armies that are bigger than you, that are larger than you, of Egypt, was, you were way out of Egypt, that's coming even more so. He said, You're going to see things look like it would be impossible for you to win this battle. But he encouraged them to trust, God. And what is it going to verse God? You shall not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you. Who what? This somebody wants to. Do. Who brought you up out of the land of Egypt? You were out of land. you were out right there. They were only to destroy you there. Not brought you out of Egypt. you remember that? He's telling us God is a man of war. God is a warrior. He's full of might and power and strength. And he's urging them to trust his God. Trust him again. Trust the one, a mighty warrior who delivered you out of Egypt. Number two, this passage, this passage teaches us that God is merciful and kind. He's merciful in kind. I hope you see that here, especially in the attention. He is God who will not sacrifice young families to the Lord ever. It is God who values this typical moment in his child's life, new home, new vineyard, new family? I thought about this verse I remember I was a long time ago. I think it's Psalm 8, I remember right. When I considered the heavens, the work of your fingers, the, the moon, and the stars that you were named by, and he said this, what is man in the mindful of him? What is man? When it takes that Lord's heart, what is man mindful of him? Well, let me hear it on that. Why would this Lord God care about me? And my home? And my family? And my new marriage? Why would he be mindful of his people like us? Why would he be mindful of us? Why would he love us so? Because he's worshipful. Because he's kind. Here's a God who demands that his people offer peace before violence. He's true to the time of and the death of the wicked. He presents him to repent. He turns himself. He's merciful in time. Here's a God who calls his people to take in the families of his enemies.
1: Take care of those who are widowed
0: and orphaned by the Lord. That's the commandment. Don't leave them the to think them of themselves helplessly. He's merciful. He's kind. Here's a God who promises his to take care of the land of his enemies. So that as reward and inhabitants are robbed of sustenance. God is merciful. God is kind. And he cares about His sins. He puts them in his the laws and turning warfare. He's God's mercy and kindness. You might think these don't go together, but they absolutely do. He's also a God of inflexible justice. He's a God of inflexible justice. We see this the way God did, specifically with the Canaanites, verse 16 through 18. What we learn there is that the outstretched hand of God's mercy can only be ignored for some of the only thing they've for so long. The Canaanites have sinned grievously for centuries. idol worship, child sacrifice, wicked things that shouldn't be spoken for this whole wicked and horrible things for centuries. And God has been patient with them, God's been merciful to them, but they've ignored it for so long. And now they find themselves. Under the inflexible justice of God. Now we know two reasons that God deals specifically with these people, with these people groups. We know two reasons that He deals with it so severe. Now only one of them is in the text, it's in verse 18. You can glance at it. That then they may not teach you to do according to all their abominable practices, and they, they it's an abomination. Horrible things. that you might not be really like them in their long practice that they have done for their gods, And so you sin the Lord your God. So one of the things of his people. But the other reason, do you remember Genesis 15? When we spoke about this, and Genesis 15, verse 16, said this. And they, you about Abraham's offspring, his nation of what lives come. And they shall come back here into the land of Canaan. They shall come back here in the fourth generation. Why such a way? Why did they go into Egypt? Why did they enslaved there in Egypt for, for centuries? Why, why, Egypt for, for centuries? Why, why, Egypt? why the fourth generation here? And it continues. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet. So, God's seeing something about the sin of these people. And he's patiently waiting in their glory, in their glory. He's talking about the coming when that name will be full, that sin will be complete. And all that offers him is not
1: grace and mercy,
0: but inflexible, just wrath of God. God goes on to patiently endure the greatness of sinners. But at this point, In Deuteronomy, the time of mercy has passed. In Deuteronomy 7, they're told, make no cover with these people and show them no mercy. Deuteronomy chapter 7. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, they're told to devote them to complete destruction. The justice of God. Proverbs 29, verse 1 says, He who is all consistent, he who is often refused again and again and again, but stiffens his neck, he just keeps ignoring it, he will suddenly be destroyed beyond remedy. And this moment has come for the Canaanites. Mercy has dried up, and all they're to face is the inflexible, just wrath of God. Now
1: this sounds so
0: shocking. When you read it. Leave nothing lost. Read it. Nothing. Don't even make money or destroy it all. it sounds so shocking, but it sounds so severe. And yet, it's a mere shadow of the judgment that's coming. It's a mere shadow of the judgment that's coming. And the final judgment, multitudes. Think about it. And the final judgment, multitudes will be lined up. Who would have been living under God's mercy in more ways than they even know. Not the least of which is the mercy of Christ Jesus being sent into the world to die for their sins. His blood shed, and a have all offered eternal life and forgiveness of and sins freedom from and slavery to death. It's been offered to them through Jesus Christ. They've been living in the time of mercy. And then comfort themselves. You imagine Revelation relationship they comfort themselves in fear and in anguish, in a situation I just wish I had one more moment, one more drop of mercy from God, and the never see They'll never see it. it. it said, Destroy beyond reward, show them no mercy. I wonder if it's concerned invite you here. If that's something that concerns me. I remember a soul that was very precious to me. It was Father. Year after year about this. Can hey, mercy God up to me? Am I beyond remedy and be the of just follow and follow and follow and fix it to I wonder if this concerns invite you here. Concern the truth beyond remedy. Concern that concerned mercy. And God you listen to me. The only right response to is your concern is to stop going in the direction that you're going. To turn from your sin. To live, you live right now in the time of mercy. Right now, peace is offered to you through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus is died for sinners. Not for the righteous not for good people, but all of the sinners. Christ Jesus helps us. You live in the time of mercy. We go in the direction you're going. Put all your the hope in Christ Jesus, the Savior. And be concerned with the Lord. Offer, proceed to offer peace before his two legs. He's God of justice, and God of kindness and mercy, and He's a mighty Lord. He's a man of the Lord. Now, how these. How do these warfare laws apply to us today? Second question, how do these warfare laws apply to us today? And obviously, modern governments modern militaries should take these principles down here. God's not in the nation in the same way, exactly what we dealt with Israel, so there is no path to complete destruction. But there are other principles of value and life. You can find here that they're going to take away. way of, of in their God. But I want to talk about that in a different way. These laws apply in, the in another way to the church. These laws apply in another way to the church. The New Testament speaks about church today as a military. Do you know that? Sees about the church and "Sees about the church as an army, a military." And there are wartime principles that the church must lead from this text, in Deuteronomy chapter 20. Now I want to speak to you like I want to speak to you like Jesus' army, like Christ's military. This morning I stand before you like that priest stole verse two and verse four. The priest called for the army. Israel heroes is and today you on the verge of battle with you Don't get afraid, don't run from them. Don't panic, for the Lord your God is you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory I hear for you like those priests of oh. old. In the New Testament, the New Testament pastors are in some ways compared to priests like that. They're compared to these priests of old. Pastors preach. Like men preparing Jesus' army for battle, are preachers like men preparing Jesus' army for battle. There are two. Let me just say four, there are two major problems with modern preaching. One is no information. People just preach using their own thoughts, their own ideas, the scripture, not the Bible, and they preaching God's word. No information. But another mistake of modern preaching is just information. It's just information. And they don't review it for themselves. This, these are the armies of the Lord. Rise up the battle. Go to war for his namesake for his glory. He's been called to this by the captain, the captain of your salvation. So I stand before you like this priest of old. I want to remind you of a few things. First, we to remind you of who you are. That they really remind you of who you are. Believe in two. Paul calls a fellow Christian our fellow soldier. says, Believe in you, our fellow soldier. He does it again in Philippians 2 25. my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. Who are you, Christian, You're Soldiers in Christ, my fellow soldier. He does it again in 2 Timothy 2, verse 3 and 4. He says, Listen to this command share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled with civilian pursuits since his aim is angry, it's plea to please the one who enlisted him. In honor of Christ, both Paul and you tell their fellow Christians, Fight, fight for the good fight of faith, Paul says. Jude says, contend our fight for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. The scripture is clear that our warfare is different than guns and bombs or chariots and horsemen. It's different than that. The same the same verse three. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. It's not about the strength of men. It's not about your endurance or your power in the flesh. We are not waging war according to the flesh. But the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power. Divine power to destroy souls. Now as a soldier in the Army of Christ, and this is who you are. You've got no business for the nice movies. No business for the nice movies. No business acting like it's peace time it's actually wartime It's this life that you live. You must enter the battle. And it says here you must face hardship, hand on a good soldiers. You must fight while other people's lives to depend on The scripture describes us as soldiers and armies of Christ. Now, secondly, it reminds you of your objectives. You remind you of your objectives. Don't overcomplicate these sentence. it's not complicated. See above all else please the captain of your salvation, who that person said, He's the one who enlisted you. Don't get caught on the 70 percent but please the one who enlists you. Get your eyes on Him. Do what He says. Sit and imitate Him be holy like He is. 1 Peter 1 2, to 11 says, Abstain from passion with the flesh, which wage war on your soul. Did you know that? There's a war being waged on your soul. Abstain from the passion of the flesh and wage war on your soul Seek to imitate Christ. Be holy like Christ. Seek to save souls. Enlist them in the army. Train them to fight for the Lord of Christ. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Lord, the nations. Go to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Commands from the Captain of our salvation. Give yourself to these things, brothers and sisters. Uh, all the reason of the living God, give yourself in these things. Don't waste your precious life. Let me remind you her that the enemy you face is larger than you. Just like you read in Deuteronomy 20 verse 1. You're going to see chariots, and horsemen, an army that's bigger than you, it's more powerful than you. And I'll say this in the same way, it's even, it's even worse for the church. Even worse for the church. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces. Of evil in every place, therefore take off the whole armor of God. I'm not saying it's a you. I'm not trying to discourage you, but rather call you to battle and encourage you. If you're going to fight, you can't trust in the flesh. You must trust in the God and God alone has strength. Now, some soldiers who were supposed to be fighting get paralyzed by fear, get paralyzed by fear. Now this idea of being paralyzed by fear, it can show itself in many, many, many ways. Fears about the spiritual realm, fears about the future, fears about not having enough money, or fears about what people might think, Fears of persecution or fears of being ridiculed. So many fears, you can just stop them up. They keep you from the fight. They paralyze you. All the anxieties, all the worries, all the fears, whatever. remember the miracle of the Sower? The anxieties of this life entered in and choked the word so it became unfruitful. And I also. Our enemy uses these fears and he had anxieties to neutralize you as a soldier. So, forward and last, I want to call you to fearlessness. To deal with all that stuff that keeps you out of the battle, all those anxieties, glorious fears, deal with all that stuff. i to call you to fearless fighting for the Lord Jesus Christ as a soldier. We can learn the principles from Deuteronomy chapter 20. Continuing in fear and anxiety is sin. It says in verse 20, it commands us. It says, it's not a suggestion, it's a command. Do not fear. show fear is a lie of trust in God. Why? Don't fear because God's Don't you remember the one that delivered you out of faith? Don't you remember the one that delivered you from sin and death and hell? To continue in fear and anxiety is sin. You're not supposed to go and all the worries of this life are keeping you out of the battle. Fear and fear of worries is contagious. Deuteronomy 20, verse 8. Is there anyone who's fearful and faint hearted among you? Let him go home. Listen, let him go home, verse 8. Lest the heart of his brethren melt like his own heart. You're changes in the body of Christ. You want to hate this up. you continue in it to sin. you continue in it to harm those around you. It's contagious. People begin to complain and groan instead of having their eyes on God and His works, His promises, His word. You've got your eyes on your problem and your complaining and the affects the people around you. We also see on the good of our own, to deal Listen, I think it's clear from this passage, this chapter, that faith kills fear. That's what he said, right? Faith kills fear. That's what the priest said. He stood up, the only the first time with your enemies, they're bigger than you. Listen, don't be afraid, don't run, don't panic. He says, For the Lord your God, trust him. He's with you to fight for you against your enemies. He reminds them of Egypt. Remembering God's word, remembering his truth, and provoking yourself to faith in God's is what fear. Fear and faith cannot not it If you want to live free from fears and anxiety the fear that paralyzes you and makes you unfruitful, you must get your eyes on the reminders of God's word. And provoke yourself to death. Soldier of Christ Jesus. Don't waste your life. Fight for his glory. Endure suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. I'll settle not civilian pursuits, taking things this life, but please the one want to disappear as a soldier. And don't let anything in this life, any fears, any doubts, worry, stop you from this and make you unprovable. I'm going to close with the poem. And I think this poem, it reads like a priest standing before an army, reminding people to be fearless in the face of danger, and impresses about the celebrity. The poem is called Afraid? Afraid of what? It's a poem that was written in honor of a soldier of Christ. It was written in honor of a soldier of Christ who had his priorities straight and who took the gospel to China and a martyr in 1931. The story goes, as he was asked by those who murdered him, and he was asked the question, Are you afraid? And they waved to go to his face. Are you afraid? And his response, with complete assurance, was No. If you shoot, I will share heaven. And the decapitated body is found a short time later. And this poem written in honor of this soldier of Christ. I want you to notice how faith in God's word will kill the spirit of the two day soldier engaged in the battle. Afraid? Afraid of what? To fill the spirit's lack release? To pass from pain to perfect peace, the strife and strain of life to cease. Afraid of that? Afraid of what? To enter into heaven's rest and yet to serve the master blessed from service good to service best. Afraid of that? Afraid. Afraid to see the savior, to hear his weapon, and to trace the glory gleam from wounds of grace. Afraid of that? Afraid of that? To do by death what life cannot,
1: baptize the blood, a
0: stony plot, to a soul shall blossom from the spot. Afraid? Of that, fear not, the rest the church is so different than the earth. Father, we give you thanks thank you, Lord, for Christ Jesus, the captain of our salvation. Thank you for rescuing us out of darkness, out of slavery. and the old Father's mercy that the blood of Christ the captain of our salvation.
1: And God pray from this side
0: Lord, being transferred from darkness to light from the kingdom of Satan to, to the kingdom of Christ. From this side of that you would make us, oh God, make us good soldiers of Christ Jesus our Lord. Make us, God, help us to be so disinterested in the things of this world the civilian affairs, and let our hearts be steadfast, for and focused, singularly focused on pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ who enlisted us as soldiers. God, I pray that you would teach us to face hardship as soldiers of Christ, to fight in battle full of joy, full of zeal. Uh, we are yours for your honor. Give us for your glory. All the Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.